Welcome to the EIS Navigator. I'm your host, Brian Moretta. Today, we bring back serial entrepreneur and investor, Scott Weaver's Wright. We pick up his story from where we left it in episode 12 after his first successful exit was Kitty Care. We speak about how he started investing, how he got back into managing a company again at Elevate, and how this led to his second successful exit. We also discuss lessons from both businesses and how they translate into his investing. If you joined the podcast, don't forget you can subscribe on all good podcast services, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you have any suggestions for future topics or guests, then you can email us at inquiries at harmonico.com. Without any further ado, enjoy this episode. So today, for the first time on the podcast, we were joined by a return guest. So I'd like to welcome back Scott Weavers Wright, who's co-founder and partner at Hatch Ventures. Welcome back, Scott. Well, thank you for having me, and, uh, and and good afternoon. Good afternoon. So regular listeners hopefully will recognise uh, his voice. We had him back in November talking about his first business. So for anyone who didn't listen to that, do you want to give us a quick introduction to your background? Of course. I am Scott Weavers-Wright. I am a, a serial entrepreneur and a serial investor into digital disruptive technologies. My first business, I would say my first successful business defined by an exit value of 70 million. It wasn't my first business or successful business because you can define businesses in all sorts of ways. But if we talk about exits and valuations, Kitty Care was sold in 2011 for 70 million. And it was an online baby store shipping cots, prams, cot beds, etc. online. And the technology platform behind it was built by myself. And it was the biggest online baby store in Europe. And it was purchased by Morrisons in 2011. And I became CEO of Morrisons.com and chief architect of Morrisons' entire £17 billion business. So yes, that was kiddiecare.com. Yeah. And for those who, who didn't listen to that episode, we dug really into, we went through that story in, in, in the last time you were on the podcast, and we're going to follow on to that. But before we get into that, how's Hatch going? Because I think you've, made, you've launched a new fund since we last spoke. Yeah, you wrote really, really well. And it's, it doesn't surprise me because we have a, I have a, a, a kind of a, a a philosophy in business and we we define them by standards you know standards about the quality of people we hire the quality of people we invest in the type of verticals we invest in so we've set some standards up and we launched a new fund based around s eis in addition to our successful flagship eis funds and we were, we were oversubscribed in two weeks on the raise and which did surprise me, but it was it was charming and, and lovely that, that that happened. And we've taken a couple of employees, a couple of uh, brilliant people from some competitive funds in London, and we have uh, mashed that all together. And um, we are uh, aggressively, I think that's probably the best word, because we are really uh, working very hard to find some brilliant, disruptive businesses and, and they do find us, but we also have an outreach program and we are um, making uh, 20 investments in this calendar year into uh, some very, very exciting young businesses. And that allows the EIS funds that we have to follow on in the this, in this, in successful investments later on so we can continue to support them in addition to our mentorship programs, etc. 
Excellent. It's always nice to hear of people doing well. Yeah, it's incredible. And I'm not being a salesman here. I'm going to start, I, I, when I, I, the partnership of Hatch Ventures is four strong, and we have obviously some other key people in there now. And it's charming. And I've worked, used that word before because we've got to a point now where it's not about me anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's about the team and the quality of the team. Where with our EIS funds, we have to have four yeses on the investment committee to make an investment. On the SEIS fund, we've reduced it to two partners. And I'm not always one of the two. So when when they can't, so when when the partners bring a, a, a yes answer to the to the board meetings, whilst I, I've been affi- affiliated with uh, the, the businesses and I've heard a bit about them, they've actually already said they're going to invest. Uh, and they are amazing businesses. I think I, 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 I'm, I'm in a very lucky position, Brian, because um, it's brilliant to hear, to, 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 to witness some amazing UK, of course, businesses which we can help and continue to support brilliant very Mm -hmm. exciting times yeah so how is it letting go because a sense hatch is you're not you weren't the only person found it but you're obviously you know the one of the key people you know people yeah um and the same time you now you've had to just let go it's been historically difficult for me Mm -hmm. i'm i i have a saying called in the detail because if you scale the business, um, you have to have strong foundations. Therefore, you have to do it right. But you have to do it right. You have to build the foundations. And that's always back in the detail for me. And when I started when I was 18, all the way through to I'm now 50, clearly the businesses that I've founded and created and now exited were built on strong foundations. Now, sometimes it's difficult because you start a journey and it pivots and it changes. And it's like an airline pilot. He, he takes off. He, he doesn't re-land when uh, there's strong winds or there's a, a situation, he, 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 he fixes it, deals with it and goes and carries on or, or, or possibly changes course and goes to a new airport. If you think about a business, you know, very, very rarely do you have all the answers when you start it. You mm-hmm. certainly, it's a, it's a different animal when, you, when, you're, when you're near the end, if there is a, a near the end. And I am in the detail and it's been a strength, but it's also been a weakness because clearly sometimes you have to, delegate and not only delegate you have to sometimes realize there's better people around you and if you've been wise enough to employ better people <laughs> in the first place yeah. and that's part of anybody's any entrepreneur's journey is to find better people and you eventually learn that and once you have them you have to provide the resources for them to stay within the ecosystem that you've created so you can delegate i found it particularly hard over the years but over i'd have to say in my in the, in the latter three or four years i have put the best people around me that i've ever put together and i am able to delegate and be briefed upon upon uh, how things are going and have input and guidance and you know i can be very strong-willed but um the reality is when you have a crew around you you have to empower them to make decisions and you have to help them and mentor them but ultimately they are your your a team uh, or your a crew and you have to live with it and there's lots of ums there brian because it's taken me 50 years <laughs> <laughs> to get to that point but we are um a, a very successful outfit and i have put better people around me i have and that's how you build a business 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've, I've heard that message several times about entrepreneurs saying, when you need something done, you've got to recruit someone who's better at you than it. Otherwise, why are you recruiting them? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So uh, as we talked about a few minutes ago, when we spoke about your story last time, we kind of left you at, at Morrison's, which I think right. wasn't the the best experience. Uh, you know, I mean, great, great in the run-up to it, but you, know, you didn't really fit in at Morrison's. And you left there, it must have been about a decade ago. Yes, I sold more, yeah, Kitty Kale sold in 11, 2011, and I left in 2013, pretty much to bang on two years. Mm-hmm. And, I, uh, and I agreed to do two years. It wasn't a written contract, but it was a handshake that I would do a couple of years. And I wasn't ready to go because also you build a team up of 300 people, or whatever mm-hmm. it was, just under 300 people, of which you'll probably key 20, 30 people are your management team. And when you sell the business, are you ready to go? And I wasn't ready to leave them and nor was my wife who was my uh, partner in the business and we both stayed on so it was a very emotional emotional time and and obviously Morrison's asked us to do a job and that was they bought the business and in particular they bought the technology to run morrisons.com mm-hmm. that, that's what the, that's what the gig was and so they bought the, the tech and said right come on let's go online and when I went on that journey with Morrison's, they weren't ready to go online. They were a, uh, a very successful store estate, had just under 400 stores. They wanted to go into convenience, open up more stores. They clearly wanted to go on online, but the focus wasn't really online. And when you have an online business, the focus is online. And when you build an online business, it's all about, in my, in my world, the customer and the data, and you build the business around the experience that you want the customer to have. And it, and store businesses historically have built the business around stores. Mm-hmm. And that supply chain that's getting product from the, the farmers, the manufacturers, the fishmongers, the fisheries, whatever, to um, the DCs where they distributed the, the product to the stores. So grocers are particularly good about, uh, in fact, grocers are particularly amazing at supply chain. And Morrison's was no different. And they were store focused. When you started to talk to them about online and you say it's not just a different sales channel, this is a complete new experience. We need to turn your business inside out. They weren't having it. So we bumped heads very quickly and really deep down, they didn't really want to go online. It was a PR stunt and you know, 70 million for a 17 billion turnover business is, as they, as they said to me, a drop in the ocean. Now, that was difficult for me to take because they bought an online business and I was an online guru. And um, it's, a, it's a difficult challenge. But it was one I, I enjoyed the experience and because it taught me a lot about corporate. It taught me a lot about how successful people continue to need to be focused on what they believe and deliver what they believe rather than a corporate will have meetings for a meeting's sake to try and persuade the group. So if you think you can, this applies to our conversation today, Brian, because we're going to talk about Elevate. We're probably going to talk about Hatch. We're probably going to talk about investment and, and some of the businesses we've invested in. But ultimately, what you have in a corporate environment is managers who effectively manage and don't take risks. Mm-hmm. And what you have, and if it fails, then they probably are canned. They're probably a five. They probably don't get promoted. What you have in a an entrepreneur-led business is 
Failure is an event. Failure is every day. Failure is not a person. So what you do need to, you need to quit, you know, in, in dot-com world, we call it fail quick because, you know, it doesn't cost much money and you can get on and move forward. In corporate world, it's, it's, it's failure is failure. Mm-hmm. And you're, it, it's, it's, it's a black mark. It's, you know, it's the black spots the pirates would say in the olden days. It's, uh, the, pl- it's the plague. And it certainly was an experience. Morrison's was an experience. But I came out of Morrison's in 2013, and I was a better man for it, and I was a better businessman for it. Okay. And when you left Morrison's, were you already thinking, I need to start a new business? Or were you thinking, oh, God, I need a break? Or I was flat. I was flat. I, I left Morrison's, I think I was 40, 41, and um, I had been in business since I was 18. And uh, I had um, my first business was called 21st Century Computers. And I was, you know, I took it to 24 employees and I was the youngest of them. And then I had a, a business in London, which was successful. And then obviously we had the, the big kitty care, mm-hmm. um, which was shipping 17,000 items a day. And after the two years experience of Morrison's, I was pretty flat, was pretty tired, pretty broken. Obviously, uh, was questioning my ability because I, I couldn't persuade this the, the, the Morrison's business to fully embrace online the way I wanted to, which was my way. I, I came out of Morrison's pretty pretty broken and pretty flat, which is very unlike me. I took a uh, a couple of months off. I went to the west coast of America to see Apple, uh, see Google see some businesses that were on the kitty care platform which i had found i was using uh, certain technology businesses on the platform at kitty care just to kind of get around people who were me again who mm-hmm. um who were who uh, get up and do it today you know it doesn't work let's try again let's build it properly so it scales get some sunshine on my on my back and um yeah so the west coast of america was great but then i got the call i got the call from young young fred who's my co-founder of hatch mm-hmm. um the hatch group he uh, he dropped me a line he used to work for me at, at kitty care and ultimately morrison's because we were acquired and um he persuaded me effectively and it was the right it's just perfect timing and he caught the perfect timing of that call in, in that week so did he call you up and say we have a business let's do it or was it more a sort of hey you know i i want to do something else come on let's let's see what we can conjure up it was a mixture and, and sometimes that's the best way what what he had spotted and i took for granted was that we had found about 10 startups on the west coast of america and it, and, and in the east coast around um uh, New York, we had found about uh, 10 businesses who were operating in America, but not in Europe. And mm-hmm. we we found them in, in the back streets of Soho in, in, in New York and all sorts of places in, in, in Silicon Valley and San Francisco. And we put them on the Kitty Care platform. And, and to give you an example, we were doing video on mobile before people were doing video on mobile and because obviously a kitty care wanted to re- reduce the returns rates and returns were high in those days um, because um, mums and dads were breaking the push trays when they were trying to fold them 
And so all of a sudden, I said, right, we need to solve this and let's do video. And of course, people were, how do we do that? So we ended up going to a company called Live Clicker in San Francisco, who are Live Clicker. Well, a startup doing, doing video on mobile. And mobile was where technology was going. So we, we, jumped, we jumped in it. But Live Clicker didn't want to come to Care. They didn't want to come to Europe. They didn't have a sales team or a, an engineering team in the UK or, or, or Europe, and they weren't focused on it, and they didn't have the money. So I had to persuade these type of businesses to come to the UK, and I, in return, apart from paying them, I would be a reference site for them. So if they went into Argos or Boots or you know, Halfords or you know, Marks Dispenser, John Lewis, the other retailers that uh, they wanted eventually to get into, I would be a reference site. So they would ring me up and say, hey, Scott at Kitty Care is running this video solution. You should as well. He'll be a reference. And that happened. So when Fred rang me, what he said to me was, do you realize that the 10 companies that we brought into the UK have all sold for an in excess of 3.3 billion pounds? Hmm. And given that they weren't in the UK or Europe, and they've now been acquired by IBM and Oracle and Facebook and Google and Twitter, why would we not use our skills to find the next 10 or the next 20, invest our own money in them and benefit? Mm -hmm. So that was an intriguing call because, you know, as you can imagine, I hadn't really realized that every company had exited on the back of our success because we were the number, I think, with Kitty Care was the sixth most used website in the UK. I had become the sixth and seventh most powerful man in online in the UK, according to whoever you want to believe, mm -hmm. the press. So um, we clearly had influence and we were making the right decisions. So, yeah, we got the call from young Fred saying, come on, let's go, let's, let's invest my money, which is, <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, which is great, you know, fine. Um, Very good of Fred to put Scott's your money on risk. <laughs> Yeah, wonderful. Let's invest Scott's money because you know I'm I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a serial better. So that that's what I do. You know, that's and I'm comfortable in that space. Let's go and do it again. Put a team together and um, and create Hatch, which we did in 2014. So so you started investing and then Elevate came along. So well, yeah, how did really, Elevate really, happen? Yeah, that's a really good question, and um, and I was really restless about it. And I tried two things. I tried I tried two ways with Elevate. One, to put a team together where I invested in and I let them run it. And two, eventually, when they weren't having success, I had to jump in and supercharge it and and get them through. And I suppose I had that ability to jump in and help anybody. But I was disappointed I had to jump in because you know one of, one of my original team had to jump out which i didn't i didn't want so there's always there's always a story there what is elevate uh, i'll give you the technical kind of answer and i'll give you the layman's term for, for you and me okay good <laughs> elevate is a monetization platform which allows brands their agencies and folks to spend marketing money promoting products on private marketplaces now in pure english you need to learn, you need to use Amazon's marketplace as a uh, example. If you are a merchant or a third party seller, you can list your products on Amazon or eBay or any other marketplace. And that's great. 
And then Amazon realized that really uh, uh, the merchants wanted the opportunity to promote the product in the search results, in the search algorithm. So if you were to sell uh, a product you, as a merchant, you have the ability to sponsor uh, that keyword, that search result, that search term, and gain more sales. I built that technology from the ground up, first line of code in the UK for, uh, in, in the end, what companies were using it were, ironically, Morrison's, Iceland, House of Fraser, uh, Debenhams, but not on the high street, which is a marketplace. Mm-hmm. Many, many retailers. And what that allowed Iceland to do was that in, in, in the case of Iceland, Birdseye used to go on to Fish Fingers or uh, uh, any category and promote their promotion for that week or for that month or for that period. Um, so if you went onto Iceland as a consumer and typed in Fish Fingers, Birdseye popped up. Okay. And presumably in there, you've got uh, some sort of marketplace where birds are paying Iceland a fee for that promotion. I'm afraid so. It's, the, it's an ugly truth. Yes. <laughs> um, it, was a, it was a relevant uh, search term. So customers weren't being forced to look at stuff they weren't searching for or, or uh, from an algorithm perspective. But yes, you're absolutely spot on. It was a double-sided marketplace. So uh, Birdseye paid uh, Elevate, uh, and this is all electronically in, in, in real time. So Birdseye logged on to the portal, um, sponsored the relevant products that were on Iceland's feed of products on their website, and automatically in real time, those products were promoted for that relevant customer. And they paid us a fee, and we paid uh, the majority of that fee to Iceland, and that is called supplier contribution. Ironically, I got that idea, Brian, at Morrison's, because when you walk into a Morrison's store and you walk down, uh, you, you check out and you see Wrigley's chewing gum, Wrigley's chewing gum are paying Mm-hmm. Morrison's for the privilege of being at the checkout. So it became uh, it, an obvious, simple scales, a simple solution for me to say, hey, why isn't this online? And I p- put my old team together. So when I left in 2013, Kitty Care, I, um, as I say, I went to recharge my batteries in the West Coast. Fred brought me back to the UK to do some hatch ventures. And I was restless about the Wrigley's checkout in the Morrison stores. <laughs> and um, I persuaded 10, 15, 20 of my old engineering team at Kitty Care, who were also very unhappy about mm-hmm. the, uh, the state of affairs, to jump ship. They all came back with me. And over four years, we built a new business, which was extraordinarily difficult, Brian, because when you start from scratch mm-hmm. and you write the first line of code, there's a lot of things that have to happen. First of all, and this is this is relevant to your the conversation we're having today, because when you build a business, first of all, you have to get the right people. And I was very confident in the engineers. So I had three or four brilliant engineers. And then you start to say, right, I just don't need engineers. I need the people to talk to the retailers. And that would be me. But actually, I'm probably not best suited anymore to talk to retailers. So let's let's find some other folks. And then you build a team up. But when you bootstrap a business, and bootstrapping a business means that you effectively don't raise any money and you pay for everything yourself, you still have to do it a certain way, Brian, because... You can do, there's two ways to to, to raise money. It's two ways to run a business nowadays in in the dot-com world. You go and raise 100 million or or, or a million or 10 million or 5 million or whatever it is at a a valuation of X. So you sell X, you you get the money and the valuation is X. Or you bootstrap. 
and I talked about foundations earlier, and I'd like to, I like to get the foundations right and then scale it. So I spent my own money, about a million quid, on bringing the team together and bootstrapping the business and getting a, a, a product you know out there on, on, in, a, in, in, in a live environment. And we were live on a few retailers, and then I raised money. But it is a very difficult it's a very difficult affair, Brian, because people assume everything you touch is going to turn to gold because you've done it before. Yeah, and, and, and the other aspect which strikes me from what you're saying is that even for yourself personally, I mean, you came out of Keddy Care with, I don't know how, how much of that you got, but you had a nice amount of money in the bank. And yeah. it would be very easy for you to go in and say, I've got all this money in the bank. I can just not keep your eye on the purse things quite so much and say, okay, building the business is the important thing and, and, and not being very careful. Yeah, and my background, you know, I left home with £30. Mm-hmm. When I was 18 years old, on my, on my 18th birthday. So it's, whilst I live a nice lifestyle, I am always very restless about income. Uh, how do we pay for this? So it's never gone away, and it keeps me not awake at night, but it definitely keeps me on edge. And I don't, and I don't know if it's a flaw or, a, or an asset. You know, I'll let other people decide. But when I was building Elevate, I was very wary about costs. So I, I, you know, obviously I gave options to the team rather than big salaries. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, the problem there, Brian, is, and this is a really interesting one, when you start persuading people to come and join your ship, and you persuade them to row together, and a year later we're rowing really hard, but they've halved their income because they've got these juicy options, mm-hmm. and we're going to be worth we're going to be worth billions and millions. So don't worry about it. So we row harder. In 18 months now, we've been together and we're rowing harder. Scott's really wealthy. It's not fair. Scott's really wealthy. I've taken half a pay cut to join this team. I'm working twice as hard. We're not there yet. That's the problem of bootstrapping a business. And what happened in Elevate was really interesting because two years in, we're starting to get some progress. But the team are 50% down on their income for the mm-hmm. last two years. It's okay for Scott because Scott's uber wealthy. Of course, they don't realize I'm a million quid in now and I'm 1.2 million and 1.3 million and I'm covering the costs and it's not, you know, there's there's other factors at play. But, but you don't have the mortgage they have, so... They have the mortgage, they have the wives at home, you know, they have the partners at home who are saying, we're not going on holiday anymore, we're not going to those resorts anymore because we can't afford to. Where, how, how do you cash these options in? Well, of course, the options are worthless because they only trigger when the business exits. So it's a really interesting dynamic. So when you build an A team in a new business and a really good management team in a new business, you need to fund. So what I did in, this, in the third year is that actually I went out for VC funding, second or third year, I went out to VC funding and I raised a couple of, maybe a couple of million quid and that relieved the pressure on some of the staff and I gave them a bit more dosh. But, 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 this, but even so, we're now into that classic ironic, this is all wrong. If, you, if, I, if an accountant comes in, this isn't working. So what you've got now is a, a business that's had two or three million or probably four million of funding. The staff are on 100,000 each or whatever it is to, uh, to, to stay and be happy. And the business is doing 10 grand a month. Mm. So all of a sudden, this is, the P&L is completely backward. And 
me being thrifty or me being careful has gone out the window. We're now using my money and VC money to support a business that's not quite financially working, but we're building some technology and it, we're getting there. You know, you're two and a half years in or three years in, we're still growing as a team, but ultimately now who's believing? And there's your challenge when you run it, when you start a new business. They've all joined the ship because it's Scott. They all think that, they, you know, that it's, Scott's going to deliver because he always has and always does. He'll come through. But is the belief starting to wane now? Because Elevate was a, a very simple solution. It allowed suppliers to spend money on John Lewis's website to gain more sales, ultimately for John Lewis and themselves. And it worked really well. But John Lewis weren't ready for it pre-COVID. Marks and Spencer weren't ready for it. Morrison's kind of were, but kind of weren't. And then, you know, because we had to persuade retailers that let the brands bid against each other and therefore give you more money for the right for chewing gum to be number one in chewing gum, which is obvious, isn't it? So for, for Wrigley's to be number one in chewing gum. And what the retailers used to say to us is that we're uncomfortable allowing the brands to dictate position or product on our website mm -hmm. so it wasn't just a technology thing there was actually a cultural gap to cross uh yeah and what amazon were doing was saying we're not bothered mm -hmm. and and amazon's sponsored search results were 40 percent up year on year amazon were making more money out of their sponsored search than they do on selling the product mm -hmm. and here were our uk retailers saying to me no we're not we're not quite happy about product position and I was saying, can, I, can, I just, can you just step back? Wrigley's want to be number one in chewing gum. It's a relevant search result in a relevant category, and they want, they're going to pay you tens and tens of thousands of pounds to be number one in chewing gum. And then the chewing gum supply number two comes in and wants to be number one, and they, there's a battle for number one, and, and the retailer benefits. And the retailers weren't there. So we really had a challenge. We really had a challenge to educate the market in the UK. And for the first two years, I had to row the boat, fund the business, bring some VC money in, which is really interesting. It's my first VC money in any of my businesses that I've founded myself, which was a learning, a learning curve. And I and, and mentor and persuade the team that we were following the North Star and we would, we would, we would hit the North Star. Yeah. So how did you do that last... So the last one which you raised as a, earlier is a big issue. How did you keep the staff motivated or encouraged or there? <laughs> with great difficulty. With great difficulty. And there's no, there's no, there's no silver spoon. I realised that whilst we were building some brilliant technology and it was going to be uh, world class, ultimately you have to, it, uh, we weren't building a lifestyle business. And a lifestyle business is when you hang around forever. It's a mum and dad pop shop you know what i mean corner shop which is going to do you know this was big business and these people needed you know an, an exit and they wanted to be associated with success and they all this kind of kind of stuff and uh, and scott you deliver every time wow pressure so a couple of years in the ceo decided that he wanted to start a family couldn't afford to start a family and wanted to exit that was a shock and it forced me to step into the business and become from chairman to CEO. So I stepped into the business and I, I realized very, very, very quickly is that we had to focus on lots of noise and we had to focus on revenue. And when I say noise, when you're a small business, you have to look 
10 times bigger. You had the combat, the competition, you know, the, the web gives us that advantage. You know, we don't have to have 40 stores. We can look like we've got 40 stores. We can big ourselves up. We can go in for every award possible. So we started to win some awards, startup of the year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a similar thing I built with KiddieCare. KiddieCare had 45 industry awards. So it's a, it's a, it's a format and formula I, 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 I've used uh, forever. Because when your competition or when your acquirer sees awards, 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 awards for best website, awards for best customer service, awards for best technology, all of a sudden, you really are out there. So I spent two years, this is the third and fourth year, keeping the team together, funding it myself because I felt the VCs wouldn't continue to fund it because it wasn't doing the numbers and it wasn't. We're going to do in 10, 10, between 10 and 30,000 pounds a month. And then we had a phone call from Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And that phone call was, can we meet in New York? And I was in New York, ironically. And I met and it was a company called Quotient Technologies. And Quotient were a old-fashioned business that went out to manufacturers, got money, and then put paper coupons in the, in the newspapers. So in English, so you know, if you remember when you used to shop with your mum and dad, they used to um, cut the coupons out of the paper and uh, go, go to Tesco or go to co-op, wherever they did, and they used to redeem their coupons. Yeah, and laterally you'd get these stuck through the letterbox with your, okay, come That's to... It your yeah. local supermarket and here's 10, 10 things that we hope you'll want a discount on yeah and classic america america's big you know aggressive uh, they were a billion a billion dollar business in coupons ironically and they had made a, a great stride a, a year or two earlier to go tech go digital and they had the they said to me they had the retailers so they had lots of retailers which they worked with and they had lots of um, suppliers, brands, agencies, you know, manufacturers. And what they didn't have was the technology, which Elevate was, to sit on uh, a good, for the digital version of their coupons. And over uh, 10 months, I persuaded them and they persuaded me to exit and they acquired Elevate. And it was a real game changer for me because it validated that I wasn't this dude that came out of Morrison's uh, as a broken, you know, broken man's a big word, but I came out of Morrison's pretty flat mm-hmm. thinking maybe I don't know all the answers and maybe I'm not as good as I, I, I thought I was. But I sold, I, I sold Elevate for $28 million and it, it was doing £30,000 a month in revenue. Which, which sounds quite incredible because part of me sort of says at that have you demonstrated really a product market fit? Yeah, and I can now tell you there'll be a hundred. Um, that quotient will do a hundred million in the next eighteen months in America, and Elevate will be, if it's not already, the biggest grocery monetization tool in the states for supplier contribution. Okay, so so they were right. To, they were right to actually buy, it, in a sense. So lots of rights there, isn't there? Uh, I, they were right to buy it. They took a gamble on, on, on it. I was right to create it. I was right to stick with it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of lessons in there. You know, one is if you feel you've got something and you feel you're on the right lines, 
then you better start telling everybody. Mm-hmm. And in my world, that's awards and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And I was very violent about the awards. Get in for awards, talk to people, shout about it because you need validation. I mean, that, it's interesting because that's something a lot of people are cynical about. Yeah, it's, it's like we've all seen company of the year that next year bombs or whatever. Yeah. So I know it's very, you know, and it, you look, and I am, I'm one of the cynical people, but ultimately it's shoved down my throat that ASOS won platform of the year again, or they won, uh, or Boohoo won company of the year for best implementation of technology. And you think, really? But when you want to attract employees, mm-hmm. you want them to come to an award-winning business. Employees want to go to an award-winning business and make it better. Ultimately, these things are very important for other people, not necessarily for you, but they are validation for other people. When you want to exit a business, you better make some noise. And you don't have to go wave a flag saying, I'd like to sell my business, please, because that drives the price down. Ultimately, though, you better make some noise about how good you are and that may take uh, 10 years, it may take a year, but it, it ultimately, it helps you bring a deal to the conclusion, bring a deal to the table. I mean, presumably, that, that, must, that must have helped because if, if you look at the revenue multiples versus the price, that, that deal didn't make sense on any sort of EBITDA. There must be a strategic element within that, though, that if I was the buyer from Quotient, I would really hope that I'm being really rational about fitting that into my business and justifying that. I mean, it was the awards the sort of thing that got got you on their horizon to begin with, or was it the sort of thing that consummated the deal, do you think? Yeah, no, I think the awards didn't, no, not at all. I think the awards got them got us on their horizon. Thereafter, thereafter, their DD on the technology. You know, ultimately, Brian, I'm known for, and I maybe maybe not nowadays, but I was known for building technology businesses. So that wasn't, and, and I, I talked about foundation earlier, and that was about building proper, working, great technology businesses that can scale. And the same applied for Elevate. So we built a business that allowed multiple suppliers to bid against each other on the same key terms for that one retailer. So if you can imagine that at scale, and that's what Quotient did, so Quotient said, we need that technology because guess what? Our retailers are going online. Our suppliers want to sponsor their search results and, and sell more products online and on their online platforms. And here we are printing coupons. You know, so the money so in America, which is, which is historically behind us on e-com, transforming into this digital version of what we have today. So they were going online and they missed, they, were, they, they didn't have the middleware. And they were scouring the globe, Australia, America, Europe, for this technology. And there was two or three players who had started, and one of which was us. And we were a bit, we were three or four years in, or four years in. And um, they they made contact, and then we persuaded them over a period of time. Which is what happens in a relationship when you're when you're selling a business is that there's lots of yes, we can do this, and yes, this is obviously what's going to happen, and it's going to be a great success. But ultimately, in DD, due diligence, they saw that it was correctly designed, architected, and they said, yes, it could scale. And they decided with their customers and with their suppliers, uh, if they plugged it in as middleware, it would work, which we proved it did. So having built and sold Kedicare and built and sold Elevate, what 
lessons do you see across both of these that you would draw out? A few. <laughs> you, have so. to have, you, have, you have to have utter belief. It's really lonely at the top. You know, everybody looks at you and thinks that you're going to come up with the answers and uh, it won't fail and you will be the solution. And then, you know, Elevate, ultimately, that was a new product vertical which didn't exist Mm-hmm. We, you know, you know, okay, Amazon have, you know, uh, have have made it uh, the norm, but prior to that, it wasn't really the norm. For retailers weren't allowing people to bid on keywords on their website. They mm-hmm. weren't comfortable with it. They didn't want it, and they weren't happy with it. Which seemed kind of odd, given they were doing in this, they've been doing in these stores for years. Of course, and it's therefore it, it was a hassle, and and therefore they didn't really think because it was in the stores, it would be relevant. Why do I need this for? post-COVID, violently, the shift has happened. You know, um, they're not going to the stores. They're all going online. And now the, the, the retailers are scrambling around trying to persuade the suppliers to give them contribution because they're not getting it in store. And so I was right. And I was right pre-COVID. I was right post-COVID. But I have to have the belief. Now, I put my hand in my pocket and funded that business in addition to the VC. So I was true believer. But ultimately... The story with Kitty Care and the story with Elevate is that you have to have total, utter belief. You know, Kitty Care was a small family business running out of a four or 5,000 square foot unit selling baby goods. When I came along and married into uh, the, the, the family and ultimately eventually said, do you want to go online? Should we do this? Can I help? I'm probably quite good at this. You know, and persuaded them to go online. We took that business <laughs> to 300 plus people and 17,000 items a day in the biggest baby store in Europe. Nobody believed I would do that. And sometimes you have to believe in yourself. And that can be arrogance. It can be self-belief. It can be utter ruthlessness. And it will be an attitude of we won't fail. But more importantly, we may have to change course, but we ain't turning back. And I tend to burn bridges. So if you want me to gamble and go into QDK or go into Elevate, mm-hmm. I tend to I tend to burn a bridge and therefore I'm stuck. I've got no choice mm-hmm. but to make this work. Because presumably and, you, you have do- doubt. I mean, you're saying you've got to have the confidence, but you can't avoid doubts. No, not at all. You know, uh, Kitty K was different. I, I, I led from the front early on and dragged the, the family through the dot-com revolution and transformation and there were a lot of doubts behind the scenes but not from me and i there was water off a duck's back i knew ultimately if i built the solution they would come scary because it's um scary so i built a i built a business and 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 really invested my time and wealth into it, and you know, time is 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 money as well, mm-hmm. and my career into that business. And we weren't at the point where we had the customers. Only it came after, scary stuff. But I I just knew that I could make this work, and I would make this work. Elevate was horrible because for the first time in my career, I was reliant on retailers buying into my vision. Mm-hmm. And they, they weren't at that point. Uh, maybe Morrison's here now and again, 
they wouldn't wouldn't keep it going. Iceland now and again, not the high street now and again, and House of Fraser, and all these these retailers. Nobody was violently saying this is a shift. This mm-hmm. is a this is a this is actually a, we should do this. In addition to doing it in store, we should absolutely do it online. And this is a shift. It became a a trial pick and mix kind of thing rather than a this has to happen. This is the shift. So I was having to persuade retailers to use it. And I hated every moment of that because I was an engineer who built product and knew it would work. And me as a 40-year-old or whatever I was, very successful entrepreneur, sit in front of a 20-year-old, 25-year-old kid who was procurement at Sainsbury's telling me the answer is no. And the answer is no because we're busy. Yeah, that, that, that's a little bit soul-destroying. It, it does strike me one of the big differences in what you're speaking about is that Kitty Care was essentially a consumer business. And most of, while you had suppliers and all that sort of stuff, essentially you were selling to consumers, whereas Elevate was very much a B2B business. And from what, from what I know, those are two very different businesses. And it seems to me you're naturally more comfortable perhaps in the consumer than the B2B. Yeah, I can make, yeah, you're right. I, I, I found it, I, I just found Kitty Care invigorated because I could make changes very quickly and I could have an effect very quickly mm-hmm. and I could fail very quickly, you know, whatever, whatever it was. So I could uh, make things happen. With the B2B, you could build a brilliant technology platform, which is the B's and E's and, uh, and is the world class. But ultimately, you have to try and persuade people to use it. With, with Kitty Care, I could do TV advertising, I could do Google advertising, I could do all sorts to drive traffic. And I knew once they landed on the site, if it was relevant for them, they would check out and, and, and experience a wonderful experience. Whereas with uh, Elevate, it was a slog. Elevate was a slog because it was basically, I remember seeing Chloe, and who's a lovely lady at Sainsbury's, who was you know, a you know, director of um, online, and she got it, but she had... 10 other things that were more important to put into the, you know, on to make happen for Sainsbury's and the same with Asda and the same with Tesco. And I used to be able to get into any of the boards. I used to ring the board up to say, um, see, to see Rob Commons of Waitrose and say, Hey, Rob, I'd like to come in and see you and present to your board. No problem at all. And we presented to the board and they said, wow, this is a fantastic, a fantastic idea. Scott elevate is amazing. Let's, let's implement it. Then go and see the IT director who said, yeah, they said that to the number 50 suppliers as well. Hmm. What's more important, Scott, these or, or yours? And quadmire, quadmire. So I felt the the exhilaration of running Kitty Care was I could have an effect here and now. And I, I, as the chief boss, ultimately, I could make things happen. Whereas, whereas Elevate, I became uh, deflated about having to persuade people to do, to, to do their job. Uh, and how... When I spoke to Waitrose, and Rob and I, oh, we speak now, um, he's, he's, he's left Waitrose. But when I, you know, I trying to talk to Waitrose and say, you should do this, because if I was running your business, forget me, I would do this. <laughs> or, guys, this is what Amazon do. Your Amazon's now the de facto peer. Now, they are the number one in the world retailer. Wait, uh, Walmart in America, do this. This is the norm. You should be doing it. The suppliers want to give you money. No, Scott, we're not ready for it. That was soul-destroying because as a, a visionary or a visionary on that type of technology, which I was, and still am, I, I found it very difficult. In the post-COVID world, 
there's now a scramble for supply contribution and for the suppliers. And there's a scramble both sides of the marketplace because the suppliers are desperate to affect product position and, and sell more. And the retailers are desperate for the money yes. and to sell more. And the whole thing has come together and is a perfect perfect union. And yes, we sold Kitty, we, Kitty Care. Yes, we sold Elevate prior to that. And I got the right money. And maybe I could have got more if I hang if if if, if I'd have done post did it in post COVID. Hey ho. You know, we had a, an amazing outcome and the team have gone on to prove in America that it was it's an amazing, amazing product. So um, it was a a, very, a great success story. But um, you're absolutely right. Uh, I've done B2C and I've done B2B. And thinking about the next step or the current step, you know, looking at these experiences, how do they influence you now as a fund manager or as an investor? A, a great deal. <laughs> <laughs> I love it now because I'm obviously 15. I've got 32, 32 years experience in technology in building technology platforms for retailers from from end to end and obviously my experience with b2b with with elevate and the challenges of people hiring engineers ideas verticals and when i see a a pitch uh, we see 10 a day so a lot well i don't see 10 a day we have 10 pitches a day into the business i i, I probably see 10 a, 10 a month I have to use all of that experience to to make a decision about if we should invest. But ultimately, I invest in people. So I, I look at them and I, I see their enthusiasm. And if they've got a good idea in a, in a vertical that I, I understand, and that's, that, that's the challenge, is one of the ones I don't understand, the verticals I understand, I can use my experience to say, okay, so have they got the willpower Forget the product, forget the idea. Can I bet on these these founders? You know, and I don't I don't bet on single founders anymore, because when you lose a founder in a single a single founder business, obviously you lose the business. Mm-hmm. Like, lost I lost a couple in I lost a couple in America in 2014 15 purely because they were single founders. So I only invest now in in dual founder businesses, and there has to be a synergy there. But the um, ultimately, uh, Brian. I, I really use my experience to to bet on people because after hiring so many people over after the last three decades, I can pick people pretty well. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know. Ultimately, you have to pick people who can be in the trench, and that's the challenge. What happens when the money runs out? What what happens when you, you don't get funded? What happens when you haven't got the customers? These were all feelings I had at Elevate. What happens? And I can mentor people, I can open doors, I can help people, but ultimately they have to climb out that trench themselves or that ditch, and they have to be able to do that. Um, so my experience is, is critical. In the last few months, uh, certainly the last 18 months, it, it's always about the idea, but I have made some big bets on, on individuals. And um, that's really got nothing to do with my kitty care or B2B experience with, with, with Elevate. It's purely 30-odd years of working with people and, and seeing how they could uh, – and seeing how they, how, how they react. So it, it's been you – know, kitty care and Elevate has been critical to my, my investment strategy. Mm-hmm. So – when we had you on last time, we we got you to answer the standard questions. So we're going to throw some at you again and see uh, what sort of different answers we get. So some of them will obviously be different. Some of them, we'll see what you give us. 
I'm, so, now, I'm now panic. I'm now panicking. Can you remember what you said last November? I cannot. No, no, I cannot. Well, we'll start with an easy one. What was the most recent publicly announced investment you made, and why did you make it? Uh, my most recent one. Yes. Uh, I think I think Orbital probably is my most recent one. Obviously, it's post November, so I wouldn't have said that. So um, Orbital is a new form of group collaboration, if I can say the word. And so we, you may have heard of Slack, you obviously email, you Zoom, uh, Teams, video conferencing is tiresome because on a group call of 10, 15, 20 people, it's about looking at people and look at seeing what they're wearing, see what their backgrounds are. And the reality is, if you think about the olden days when we just had a conference call, Mm-hmm. And on that star phone in the, in the boardroom, everybody just t- everybody just talked. There was no intros. There was no everybody. Particularly in a, in, a, in a group that you all or, or, or you all know each other, everybody just gets in involved. Uh, Orbital is that um, environment online. So effectively, there is virtual meeting rooms, and virtual offices, and uh, you talk to each other. And what's special about it is that it's absolutely um, permanent. So when you're online. Anybody can talk to you because you've allowed them to talk to you because you've gone and said, I'm in the office, I'm working remote, but I'm in, the, I'm in, I'm in our virtual office because we only have virtual office nowadays. We can't go home, we can't go to the office in, in work. So I'm in my virtual office. And if you are ticked a certain status, people could just talk to you, not ring you up, not do it. They just simply interrupt you and say, hey, Brian, how are you? You're right, mate. Um, can you help me on this? Bosh. Really, really excited. That does sound like it's, yeah, it's one step closer to the genuine virtual office, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah. And they've actually made a virtual office of your of your environment. And you simply say, I'm in, I'm in this office here. I'm in a partner's meeting, wherever I am. And they just, if, you, if, it, if, it, if, that, if, it, if you're in a certain office or a certain area or you've, you've decided that you accept comms internally, everybody is, so if you imagine there's 20 people in an office, all of you are online because you're working at home in the moment. All of you have, a, have, have allowed yourselves to be in an environment where you can accept uh, a, a, a comms. You just press a button and start talking. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. It's called Orbital. Very, very exciting. I'm intrigued. I'm going to be checking it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell us about the time you failed and what you learned from it. Well, I've mentioned my investment failures. I invested into American businesses very early. I started investing in 13 and uh, 13 or 14. And I lost a quarter of a million pounds of my own money investing in um, a, a couple of American businesses because they were single founders and it didn't work. And they simply they simply bailed. So I've learned a lot. But I also lost my first business. So I started when I was 18 years old. And I received a, a £5,000 loan from the Prince's Trust. And um, I built a, a computer business selling computers in 1990. I spent seven years as the youngest employee of 20, 24 people. And we were bootstrapped effectively with my money and a bit of, bit of five grand loan from the trust. I, I managed to you know, get into a couple of very large suppliers, or sorry, retailers or, or customers in English. And they changed the payment terms from 60 to 90 days and I couldn't carry it, you know. So I lost that. I lost my first business and it broke my heart because it took me seven years to build it. And I had my, my daughter was just born. She was a couple of years old. 
put a lot of stress on me. I avoided bankruptcy. I ended up going to London and becoming an IT consultant to pay my debts off, which I, I fully did in two years and came good, as you can see. Mm-hmm. But um, More than good. It, it was, uh, yeah, thank you. It was a critical, a critical time for me. You know, failures, an event, not a person. It was, uh, yeah, hard, hard time. So the EIS industry that we work on is great in many ways, but it's far from perfect. What would you like to change about it? Well, nobody knows about it. Uh, I'll be gobs about it if I didn't say that last time as well. Nobody knows about it. So I have a lot of friends and high net worth friends who I've become associated with. And you meet them at these, uh, these functions. And I'm a very big supporter of the trust. I'm a patron of the trust. And you meet all sorts of high net worths who give some money to charity. And I talk to them about EIS and they've never, they've, 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 they've never heard of it. So it just frustrates the hell out of me that, um, you know, the best tax relief best efficient investment tool in the uk particularly in technology uh, that has that is massive and very and, and brilliant for startups and brilliant for angel investors that you know that but that a sophisticated investor knows about them but the average investor has no clue about them or a retail investor, we call them, I suppose. You know, that frustrates me because it's such a brilliant product for tax relief and tax investment in these businesses. And um, we are building something in the UK at the moment, which is really, really exciting. But you shouldn't need to be a sophisticated investor to know about EAS. I would thoroughly agree with all of that. So what do you wish you knew when you started with Hatch that you know now? I think I have, I've accepted a bit, I'm more patient now. Kitty care, I did things immediately and Elevate, I wanted to do things immediately and got frustrated that I couldn't because of the network. With Hatch, I've had to accept that investing, you don't get returns in, in, in a year. You don't get returns in two or three years unless you're very lucky. Elevate was four years, but Hatch um, is really a seven-year cycle and I've had to grow patient with that. And I've matured a lot as a as an individual there, and I've, I'm less impatient, and, and and I'd rather the business succeed rather than force sales. So that I've, I've, I've patience. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yes, it's something we've all needed recently as well. I think. So, if anyone wants to find out more about what you're doing at Hatch, where should they go? So Google, Google me myself, but really, more, it's not about me. Google Hatch. Hatch, Hatch with two A's. Uh, ha- ha- yeah, Hatch with two A's and um, uh, dot com and uh, look up Ventures. Ventures has 350 plus investors in it now who invest alongside me. So it's uh, become very successful over the last 12 months, uh, 18 months. And um, we're expecting a thousand investors in the next 18 months to invest alongside me. So look at Hatch Ventures and uh, make an inquiry or, or download the IM. So it's been great speaking to you again, Scott. Thank you very much for coming back onto the podcast. I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it. And great to, great to see you. Thank you very much. So we hope you enjoyed that. If you want to find out more, the show notes will be available at hardmanco.com forward slash podcast. If you like, really like what you heard, you can give us a review with lots of stars on iTunes. You can subscribe to this through iTunes, Spotify, and all good podcast players. If you want to give us feedback or find out more about what we're doing, 
then you can send us an email at inquiries at hardmanandco.com. Thanks very much for listening and hope to hear from you soon. <laughs>